Well, over the last uh, little while, we've been looking at the book of Revelation, and we're going to continue to do so. Oh, we have got it. I got a text message before. It's a bit late. It'll come. It's come. And we've been looking at the seven letters to the seven churches, and we're seeing that in those letters, there are, there are warnings, warnings to the church about various issues that have the power, uh, various issues that have the power to take us off course. And they're not just speaking to seven literal churches, they're speaking to us as well. And the church has always been vulnerable to go off track. You're vulnerable to go off track, aren't you? I know I am. We've always got to be vigilant. And within these letters, the churches and us are warned to take careful heed. This this uh, refrain is mentioned over and over. Listen to what the Spirit says says to the churches. And this morning I want us to listen to what the Spirit is saying to his church. When God tells us to listen, it's a good idea to and to do what you're hearing. To listen and act on what God is saying to us. So I just pray that as we as we listen this morning, we won't just be hearing, but we will have a heart to do. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3. Just race straight into it, verses 14 to 22. This is probably the most badly understood passage and the most wrongly quoted. All right? And probably blame Billy Graham for that. Revelation 3, verses 14 onwards. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Or if you've got King James, I think it says vomit. I prefer that. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Imagine Jesus talking to you like that. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Don't worry, this is going to be nice this morning. All right. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. I will, if if anyone, anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, I just pray this morning that you will give us an ear to hear, that you'll give us hearts to do. Spirit of God, I invite you to move in this room right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. To understand what is happening here, what Jesus is saying here, we really have to have an understanding of what was going on in this church, in this place. Because the whole reality of what this city was all about. To not understand that, we get the message wrong. So let's do a little bit of a history lesson, shall we? Laodicea was situated at the junction 
of all the important trade routes in, in that area. If you, were, if you were selling stuff, you went through Laodicea. Didn't matter which direction you came from, you went through Laodicea. And Laodicea became the chief banking center of the area. Laodicea, it was not a poor city, it was a rich city. It was very wealthy. Not only was it wealthy, it also had a fine medical school specializing, here it is, in ophthalmology eyes. It was the place you went if you had eye problems to buy a special salve which would anoint your eyes and theoretically it would make them better. We don't know whether it worked or not, but they believed it did. Not only did it have a medical school there, but the local farmers had developed a special breed of sheep which grew black wool. It was a high-quality black wool. And out of it was made clothing which was all the rage in the day. If you were, were, were in, if you were just super-duper, you wore Laodicean black cloth. But there was one thing Laodicea as a city did not have, and that was decent water. The river Lycus that flowed through Laodicea wasn't strong, and during summer it had a habit of drying up. And so they had no water during summer, and so they had to bring water in. And there are only two sources of water in the area. The city of Hierapolis in the north was on a, on a cliff top. And it was like Rotorua. It had, it had springs, hot springs rising up out of the ground. And you'd go to Hierapolis to soak in the water and be healed with the healing hot water because there was chemicals of sulfur, all that sort of stuff in there. You know what Rotorua, everyone been to Rotorua? You know the stuff, put the mud all over you and smelly and you can you smell like rotten eggs when you're driving in well it was like that and this water had that property it was the place you went to have a good soak and to get the water down from Hierapolis down to Laodicea they built aqueducts to carry the water you know what an aqueduct is it's just a channel and the water would flow down, the hot water, boiling hot, beautiful water would flow down from Hierapolis, down to Laodicea. But by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. No longer hot. Not only was it lukewarm, but the chemicals that were in it had become stronger and stronger and stronger. So by the time it got to Laodicea, it made you sick if you drank it. There was another source of water, and that was Colossae on the other side. And Colossae had water coming from the, the cool mountains, beautiful, cold water from the snow. And in the summer, that's just what you wanted. But as the water was brought down from Colossae to Laodicea, the sun worked on it, and it became lukewarm. You see where we're going with this, don't you? So Laodicea was known, not for its hot water, but for its hot water that had cooled down and its cool water that had warmed up. It was known for water that made you vomit when you drank it. And to this church in Laodicea, Jesus writes. You see, 
once again, like city, like church. And it's a very, very interesting phenomenon that the church becomes very much like the city in which it's based. We have a habit of taking on the environment, the atmosphere, the culture of where we are situated. That's why it's crazy to to plant a church in another city and try and make it like yours. Because cities are different and we take on the culture, the atmosphere of the city in which we're in. And they had taken on the atmosphere, the culture of the city in which they were in. The Laodicean church had the same characteristics of Laodicea as a city. Laodicea as a city was rich, self-sufficient, but lacking in various things that they needed. And the Laodicean church had lost its power like the water to refresh and lost its power to heal. In spirit, it had become lukewarm, like the water that the people drank. It was lukewarm. It was apathetic. It was no longer stirred with the power of the gospel to refresh or to heal because it had become self-sufficient. They had everything they needed, and yet to this church, Jesus said, you're poor, you're naked, you're blind, you've got nothing. You think you've got everything. You think you're made. You think you're satisfied. You think you're just okay. And he says, you are in real trouble. You say, I am rich, verse 17. I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You know what? Self-sufficiency is our greatest curse as Christians. The worst thing that can happen to us is for everything to go well. Now, I know that's what you're praying for, all right? I know you are praying for your life to go well. I know you are praying for your finances to come right. I know you're praying for your health to come right. I know you're praying for your family to come right. I know you're praying for all of those things that you need to come for you. But I want you to know if that prayer was answered, this is often the result. Because when we get what we want, we stop trying. When our needs are met, we often stop praying. We pray hardest when we've got a problem. When our problem comes right, we pray less. Why is that? Because human beings, that's our tendency. In Matthew 5 verse 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. What he meant by that was blessed are those who know they need God. You are blessed when you know you need God. You are cursed when you don't think you need him anymore. The result of not needing God is a lukewarm religion that can't refresh the thirsty and can't heal the spiritually sick. A religion that only makes you sick instead. What's the solution? In verse 18, he counsels them to do something. This church that's physically wealthy, but spiritually poor. It physically has everything it wants, but spiritually has nothing. 
He says to them in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. You people who are rich physically, I counsel you to get gold from me so that you can be rich spiritually. And what he's saying to them is, your need isn't things, your need is me. If you come, not me, him. (laughs) You don't need me, I tell you. You need him. He's saying, if you will come to me, you will have what you really need. You think you need nothing. You need me, he says. Come to me. Buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you might be rich. And those black clothes you're wearing, come to me and I will give you white clothes. I will give you clothes that are pure. I will give you clothes that are perfect. I will clothe you. Your own righteousness is like filthy rags, he's saying. Just like the black stuff you're wearing, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's in comparison to the white is black, is a comparison to your righteousness to his. And he's saying, come to me and I will give you that which is right and that which is proper and that which is whole. And he says, you people who know how to heal the eyes, you're blind as a bat. Come to me and I will give you Salve to heal you spiritually so that you can spiritually see. You might be seeing physically, but you need to see spiritually. You are blind. And the only way you'll see is to come to me and have your eyes opened, he's saying. And what's the promise? We're almost through, people. My goodness. What's the promise? That's what happens when you stick to your notes. What's the promise to a church like this? See, if I was Jesus, I'd, I'd ditch a church like this. Wouldn't you? Seriously. They don't need God. They've got everything they need. They don't bother praying because who needs to pray? I got it all. I'm rich. I'm made. But I'm lukewarm. I make everybody sick, but I don't know it. You know, there's a, there's a verse in the Old Testament that says you've, you've got gray hairs and you don't know it. Now, I know it. Just look in the mirror. You can see. But he said, you, you've got gray hairs and you don't know it. You, you, you've lost everything. You, 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 you're falling apart and you don't know it because you've walked away from me and you've lost your ability to... God's been saying that to his people all the way through, all the way through history. And now, right at the very end of time, which we are in, by the way, we're in the last days. You know that, don't you? Last days have been going on for 2,000 years been talking to my son Chris about this. He said, I reckon Jesus was not quite telling the truth. He says, I'm coming soon. That was 2,000 years ago. It's a bit, bit of a rip-off when you say you're coming soon. Surely you expect soon is soon. So, he's coming suddenly. You're not going to know when. He's just going to come. We're in the last days. And in the last days, he's still saying to his church, you're blind and you don't know it. You've gone gray and you don't know it. You've lost your power and you don't know it. You think you're okay, but you don't know it. You've lost your source of life. You've walked away from him. And what's the promise to this church? And I think this is brilliant because as I said, I'd sort of just spit it off, you know, just give me another one. But the promise to this church is the best promise to any of the churches. That's grace. To a church that has the worst spiritual condition, he gives the best promise. 
So this morning, if you're in a terrible spiritual condition, I've got good news for you. There's the best promise waiting for you if you will respond to him today. God is not in the business of throwing people away. He's in the business of lifting people up. No matter what state we're in, he's in the business of raising us up to the highest position. And in verse 20, he says this. He says, be earnest and repent, verse 19. Verse 20, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, this is not being spoken to non-Christians. I know it's been used for ever to preach the gospel, but this is not talking to non-Christians. This is talking to the church. And he's saying, church, I'm outside the door and I should be in. I'm outside of your life, Christian people, and I should be in. I'm outside of your finances, and I should be in. I'm outside of your family, and I should be in. I'm outside of your workplace, and I should be in. I'm outside of your education plans, and I should be in. I'm outside of your future, and I should be in. I'm outside, standing at the door and knock. And this picture comes from Song of Solomon, chapter 5, where you've got the picture of the bride fast asleep in bed. And the bridegroom comes and knocks on the door. And listen to her response. I'm not going to read it. I'll just paraphrase it. She says, I hear my beloved knocking at the door. And my heart stirs for him. But then I begin to think, I've just had a wash. My feet are clean and the floor is dirty. I've got my nighty on. I would have to do all of this to get out of bed to open the door. Let's open the door tomorrow. And then he keeps, and she vacillates, you know. Come on, you do too. And she she vacillates and then, then she says, oh, I need to open the door. It's my beloved. And she goes to the door and her hand touches the handle. And she says, it's like liquid myrrh. In other words, she feels the anointing on the door. And she opens the door and he's gone. That's the same picture. Beloved, on the door of your life, if you let me in, I'll come in and eat with you and you with me. That is the highest compliment someone can pay you in the East is to come and have a meal with you. As soon as you have a meal together, you are joined together for life. Eating together is the closest form of relationship. When you eat together, you form a covenant bonded to one another. And he's saying, if you will open the door to me, I will bond to you and you to me. You will have a relationship with me, which is family, nothing closer. I'm offering you, he's saying, the closest relationship you could possibly have, and I'm offering it to people who don't care less. But if you just flick from not caring less to starting to care a little and open the door, everything will be given to you. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? My attitude would be, you don't care less, I don't care less either. See you later. See you later, alligator. See you in a while, crocodile. I'm over here. 
But now he knocks on the door and he says, if you just open. And do you know what? He's been knocking for 2,000 years and he's still knocking. Church, if you just open, if you just let me in, let me into every area of your life, I'll come in and make the difference that you're so longing to have. I'll come in and change what you're so longing to change. I'll come in and move in you in such a way that you will begin to change those around you in ways that only God and you can. But you've got to open the door. You've got to open the door. You've got to let the Lord into those areas of our lives. In verse 21, it says, To him who overcomes, also her, to the person who overcomes, I will give the right. Now listen to this. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This isn't the 12 thrones that are beside his throne. This is his own one. He says, if you will respond to me, if you will open the door to me, if you will allow me to come into your life and if you will overcome those areas, I will take you and put you not beside me, but on my knee, on my throne. And you will rule with me on my throne. And this is to the most lousy church of them all. This is to the church that lost everything, that thought it had everything and had nothing. And he's saying, but if only relationship with me, which is beautiful, which is close, not only that, but I will take you from your position of weakness and your position of, 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 of being down and downtrodden, I will take you and you'll be on my throne with me and you will rule and reign with me and no devil in hell will be able to touch you. I don't know about you so much but I know about me. I want to be on his throne. Be What place of more authority could you be? What place where things happen could you be? On the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't understand that, quite frankly. But he would bother to offer that to people like me. I won't say you, because you get offended. I want to read you a little passage just before we close. Some of my Bible readings this morning. I thought, wow, that's good. Bible has got some good things to say. Do you, you realize that? Do you know if you read it, God will speak to you? Now, there's a new thing. Talking about the reign of Hezekiah. It says this about Hezekiah, verse 21. In everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the command, wholeheartedly. And so he prospered. In everything he did, he sought his God wholeheartedly. And so, he prospered. He opened the door. He let God in. The relationship was formed. He was able to sit on the throne with 
God and so he prospered. And that's the testimony right through Scripture. Whenever a human being does that, they prosper. I'm not talking about becoming rich and owning a Mercedes and having 16 houses. I'm just saying that in God's eyes, you begin to prosper. Spiritually, you begin to prosper. The things you put your hand to begin to happen. Lives begin to change around you. Your life begins to change. Healing comes. Wholeness comes. Restoration comes. A future opens up. Doors open in front of you. Because doors can't stay shut when Jesus is in your life. What an honor to rule and reign with him. It's the greatest honor. And he offers that to the lowest. He offers that to the biggest failure. Some of you feel like failures this morning. I know it. Not that you are a failure. You just feel like it. Because you've stood for God and then you've let it go and you've, you've known that you've been up and you've known you've been down. And you beat yourself up and the devil beats you up over it. But I want you to know this morning that if we would open the door of our hearts to the Lord, no matter what state we are in this morning, he will come in. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, this is true. He will come in and he will begin to form a relationship with us which is the closest of all. And not only will he come in and have a close relationship with us, but there will be a new And all of that comes just because we return to God and invite him in. We say that to non-Christians. If you'll invite the Lord in, and then when, they, when, when we become Christians, we forget to do it ever again. And we live our lives with God on the outside and us in the ruling seat. That's not the way we're meant to live. We're meant to live the way we started our Christian life. Take your place on the throne. God, I'm not yours. Sorry, I'm not mine. I'm yours. You didn't hear that last bit. My life is not my own. My life is yours. My future is not my own. My future is yours. My plans are not my own. My plans are yours. Everything I am, everything I'm not, I'm yours, Lord. We used to sing that song. I'm yours. Not a bit of me is yours. Not the leftovers are yours. Not the crumbs are yours. Not the crusts on the floor are yours. But the whole thing is yours. My life is yours, Lord. If we, call, if we would dare to do that, if we would dare to live like that, this is the promise that we would not only have a relationship with him which is close, but we would have an authority with him because we rule with him. Seated in heavenly places, Ephesians said. Taken up and whoo, and sit on something up there. It means you're to rule here. In heavenly places, rule in the area of the spiritual. If we'd open the door of our hearts to him today, Trust in him. Receive his life. Depend on his provision. Live in his love every day. It's as simple as that. Or as hard as that, depending on where you're at.